Hey guys, thanks for scrubbing in on this first episode of the educational series. So the way it'll work is that I'll take a case study and I'll try to turn it into a virtual walkthrough. There'll be links in the description and on Instagram for the relevant references and I hope you enjoy it. So let's begin. You're the SHO in A&E and a 66 year old man pitches up to you saying, Hi doctor, I've got real bad chest pain. Now chest pain is a very common presentation. Various cardiac, respiratory, gastroenterological and other systems can present with what is described as chest pain, so don't get caught out. What's vital is the history, and it's the bread and butter of what we begin with. The Socrates acronym is perfect for gathering the information you need to evaluate the nature of the pain. So the patient says, it's in the middle, it began yesterday and it's still there. It feels very tight and moves up a little bit, and says, I do feel a little bit sick. I've taken paracetamol but he ain't touched the pain and I'm not sure if it's getting worse or better at all. In terms of severity, it's 7 to 8 out of 10. Once you've gathered all that information from open questions, you have to start to clear up the picture that you're painting. This is artwork, so ask the specifics now. So that includes things like, did this begin suddenly or gradually? Has it been the same severity ever since it began? Does movement do anything to the pain? Have you got a cough? Is it worse when you lay down? Fevers, night sweats, dizziness? You get the point. Now, I want to ask you all a question now, and that's, after the presenting complaint, is the rest of the history even important? I think during the early days of medical school, it's quite easy to say, I can get the diagnosis from the presenting complaint alone. But the rest of the history is in fact vital because it risk stratifies. It gives you an indication of the urgency. It guides the workup with a differential list and it protects you from missing vital information. Let me give you an example. Say this patient says, I've got stage four prostate cancer. Is the chest pain coming from a metastasis to the ribcage? Say he says, oh, I've traveled recently from Australia or recently I've had a AAA replay. So let's skim over the history to avoid boring you. He's got hypertension, he's got a heavy long-standing history of smoking, he drinks some alcohol, he's usually fit and well and independent. Here you should ask yourself, what are the risk factors for cardiovascular disease? Is he a high-risk patient or is he a low-risk patient? Well, he's 66, he's male, he's hypertensive and he's a smoker. Definitely part of the population that are more likely to have a heart attack. In the community, GPs actually use a scoring system that is used to predict the risk of an individual having a heart attack or a stroke over a 10-year period. It's called the Q-Risk-2 score. Essentially, it takes a bunch of risk factors and it gives you a risk probability and that you manage in the community. Anyways, back to the case. The next thing you do is examine the patient and get the bedside investigations and OBS done. So you look at the patient and he looks pale, his periphery quite cool, cap refills about 4 seconds, pulse 90 beats per minute, regular, you have a look at the neck, no raised JVP. The chest is clear, equal air entry, normal breath sounds. In terms of heart sounds, you hear a quiet systolic murmur in the left lower sternal region. Abdomen is soft non-tender, bowel sounds are present, calves are soft non-tender, no obvious focal neurology. You get a set of OBS done next, so he's apyrexic, running about 90 beats per minute, blood pressure is 110 over 70, 97% sats on air, BM normal. Now let's pause. Differential wise, what diagnosis is highest on the list at this very moment? ACS, right? ACS has three branches to his diagnosis and management. Then you ask your supporting nurse, can I get an immediate ECG please? And following that, can I get a point of care troponin, a lab troponin and a set of routine bloods please? Now important to note, when it comes to the point of care troponin, it's used to rule in. 
It's not used to rule out ACS because it's not reliable, but of course this is specific to your trust guidelines. The nurse then hands you the ECG which you take a look at. Do have a look, I've actually posted it on Instagram and it's attached in the podcast description as well. What can you see? Pause the podcast and describe the ECG. The most obvious thing that you're going to see is that there's widespread ST elevation right the way from V1 to V6. You can guess where this leading straight away, can't you? I can feel some of your heart rates increasing now. You've got a patient having a heart attack in front of you. There's no time to wait for a troponin. Time is now of the essence as myocardium is dying. Now I'll never forget what a consultant actually said to me about treating a patient. Don't forget to make the patient comfortable. So what you do is you check for allergies and you prescribe some analgesia and antiemetics. You go for, let's say, morphine and some metoclopramide. Antiplatelets next, so aspirin and clopidogrel, according to the trust guidelines, of course. Oxygen if needed, GTN if needed, fluids if needed, and of course, you actively monitor the patient. Now, what's the gold standard treatment for ACS? That's primary coronary intervention. So you call up the interventional cardiologist and say, hey boss, I've got a 66-year-old gentleman with a large extensive STEMI evident on ECG. He stops you immediately and says, I'm coming now. And after a few moments, what you see is that the cardiologist takes the patient straight to the cath lab. Now, what do you think the interventional cardiologist will see during the PCI procedure? Which artery do you think the obstruction is going to be in? You can actually tell. Have a look at the ECG. Pause the podcast again and have a look. So you're correct, there was a large plaque occluding the left anterior descending artery. So whilst the cardiologist is at work, let's learn a little bit about the complications following a myocardial infarction. You can essentially divide it into three. One, mechanical, and under that comes heart failure, valve failures, wall ruptures. Number two, arrhythmogenic, so you can get heart blocks, nuanced AFs, you can get VTs and VFs even. And three, ischemic in nature. I've posted a comprehensive list. Now relevant to this particular case study, I want to hone in on one particular complication and that's cardiac rupture. Ventricular free wall ruptures account for up to 10% of in-hospital deaths following a STEMI. Ruptures of course leads to leakage of blood into the pericardium and an eventual cardiac tamponade. Let's go back to the ECG now again. Is there something about the QRS complex that you notice? If you look closer, they're smaller than usual and seem to have some variability. That tells you that conduction isn't as good as it should be. There's actually electrical alternance present. This is usually indicative of an infusion or a tamponade. Now, do you think this was a bond or ACS that just walked through the door? Let's go back a little bit. Now, ventricular ruptures usually occur after 24 hours, most commonly between day 3 and day 5 post-MI. They're particularly common in those who have had an extensive MI in the elderly, women and hypertensive. When this case study was looked at in retrospect, this actually represented an effusion that was around the heart and it was progressing and this was causing the progressive shock that the patient was developing. Now the cardiologist actually failed during the PCI procedure to restore blood flow distal to the block. The patient then actually dropped the blood pressure due to the rupture and the leakage of blood causing the cardiac tamponade, went into cardiogenic shock and then actually arrested. So you see in this case we're treating an ACS but it's vital to continue to work with the differential. An echo could have possibly picked up the effusion and it may have changed the management. An important learning point is to remember to work with differentials. Now going to summarise ACS. I'll leave it up to you for the finer details to read about. ACS is myocardial cell death that occurs because of a mismatch between perfusion and demand. ACS is divided into unstable angina, NSTEMI and STEMI. Today I'm covering STEMI. In terms of diagnosis, of course, 
It's characterized by a history and exam that is suggestive of ACS. You need ECG changes and raised troponin levels. Symptoms-wise, it can range from anything to anything. Chest pain, shortness of breath, palpitations, dizziness, a sense of doom, sickness, nausea, right the way to being completely asymptomatic. Elderly and diabetics especially present in an asymptomatic manner with very unusual symptoms. Investigations wise of course you would need an ECG and you would need to send off troponin levels as well as routine bloods. Imaging wise you may consider an x-ray, it will be used for I guess working through a differential list, we'll rule in and rule out things and I always think an echo is useful. Looking back at this case I think if an echo was done maybe the effusion would have been picked up, maybe cardiothoracic surgeons could have been involved, who knows. Now important to note, a normal ECG does not exclude an ACS. It indicates that serial ECGs are needed. Don't be caught out. I've had many patients who've come in for chest pain, but then it's settled whilst waiting in the waiting area and the first ECG is completely normal. And after a while, if you repeat the ECG, what you'll notice is that there are dynamic changes. So don't miss that. Treatment-wise, it's analgesia, antiemetics, antiplatelets, oxygen if needed, GTN if needed, and the gold standard is PCI, and that has a certain criteria that has to be met. And if it's not available, fibrinolysis, again, that comes with its specific set of indications and contraindications. All of this is specific to the hospital and trust that you work in, and so guidelines have to be actually resorted to. Finally, it's important to remember that there are post-MI complications, mechanical, arrhythmogenic and ischemic in nature, broadly speaking of course. So that's the end of the walkthrough case study. Now to add a little bit of an interactive element to it, what I'll do is on the Instagram page on Scrubbed In, what I'll do is I'll post a few questions and yeah, you can answer them, see how much you retain, see how much you don't know and I guess revise as, as and when you need. Thank you guys for listening to this walkthrough case study as I call it. If you've enjoyed this type of learning, I'd be really grateful if you could A, follow the Scrubbed In Instagram page and B, provide some feedback just hit the link that's in the description of the podcast below or on the instagram and i'll send out a form to you